Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Monument Church Podcast, and we hope you enjoy it. Okay. When anyone asks how I can best describe my experience in nearly 40 years at sea, I merely say uneventful. Of course, there have been winter gales and storms and fog and the like, but in all my experience, I've never been in any accident of any sort worth speaking about. I never saw a wreck, I've never been wrecked, nor was I ever in any predicament that threatened to end in disaster of any sort. You see, I'm not very good material for a story. I cannot imagine any condition which would cause a ship to founder. I cannot conceive of any vital disaster happening to this vessel. Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. Captain Edward J. Smith, RMS Titanic. A little less verbose, not as eloquent. In 2014, a guy in a boat, he was a captain of a a shipping vessel on the North Sea riding in 60-foot waves. You can see him recording. You can't see the guy, but you can see the waves as he's cresting over 60-foot waves in in his ship. You can hear him in the background laughing, and he says, this is bleeping awesome! <laughs> so two, two captains, both had significant faith. Both trusted in their vessel. One was at the helm of one of the worst seafaring disasters in modern history. He himself perishing with 1,500 more people. And the other guy survived. The other guy's vessel held up. And he survived to make a YouTube video that's now been viewed over 17 and a half million times. So have you seen the shirt that says, education is important, but golf is importanter? (laughs) So I'm going to steal that today. Faith is important, but the object of your faith is importanter. My goal for us today is to consider whether our faith is placed in a worthy vessel. So we're going to be looking today at two groups of people the objects of their faith, and the outcome of their faith. So can you open your Bibles with me? We're going to be reading today from Acts 12, verse 1. So I'm going to break this into two sections. We're going to look at faith group number one and the object of their faith. And so this is is Acts 12. This is the Word of God. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that that met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church, faith group one, was earnestly praying to God, object of faith one. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed 
him out of prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself, and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she left him outside the locked gate, ran back without opening it, and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was so. They said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and he left for another place. Okay, so profile of faith group one, the church. So in verse five, we see that Peter was kept in prison, but the church, faith group one, was earnestly praying to God for him. So what do we see? We see that this, this group prayed earnestly. They were praying for some time. So Peter was arrested during the Festival of Unleavened Bread, which was a six-day festival. So we actually don't know when during that festival he was, he was arrested, but it seems that they were actually praying continuously during the time that Peter was arrested, because when Peter was freed from prison, he showed up in the middle of the night, and they were still praying. So there's quite a demonstration of faith that was happening here, quite a commitment to prayer and to the Lord, and it, we see some real faith that's demonstrated there. So then... Peter was miraculously freed. And now Peter has arrived at the door of the house. I'm going to skip the whole um, Lord freeing him section for, for right now. So Peter arrives at the door of the house. He knocks on the gate, and the servant girl, she's so happy to see him that she leaves him outside the locked door and runs and goes and tells her friends. So it's interesting. This part of the scripture, it, it, and Mary actually helped me to see this this morning. I was talking to her about our, my message. And she said, if she, if she had just brought Peter in, you actually wouldn't have seen the reaction of the people and how strong their faith actually was. So she leaves him at the door, goes back in, and she starts, she says, Peter's at the door. Okay, so what is this prayer group actually doing at this point? What are they doing? Praying. They're praying. Who are they praying for? Peter. For what? To be, released. to be released. Okay, so this prayer group is there literally praying for the thing that is happening, and what is their response? No, they say, you're crazy. <laughs> they say, you are crazy. And then she repeatedly insists, it says that she repeatedly insists that Peter is outside the door. What could they have done? They were inside the house, the gate is over here. Could they, with their massive faith, have taken the five steps to go actually check if Peter was behind the door? No, they, they actually say, the. The wind, wow, I'm moving fast. The, um, they actually say that you've seen Peter's ghost. They're so full of faith in this prayer meeting that they think, no, God no, not only has not answered our prayers, Peter's dead. Not a lot of faith pouring out of this prayer meeting. So we see there's this, there's this spectrum 
And we all, we all can fall on the spectrum even as quickly as, as the, these people do from really feeling like we're at the heights of faith to the, the depths of faith where we, our faith is so small that it's almost negligible as it was the case here. So our faith can be all over the map. So that's the profile of our faith group one. Well, let's consider the object of their faith. So in order to do this, we're going we're gonna to look at the situation, which is an impossible situation. So Peter is sleeping. He's in prison. He's sleeping between two sentries, two guards. He's chained with not one chain, but two chains. If one chain was to fail, surely two would not. There are four squads of soldiers that are watching him. These are highly motivated, highly trained soldiers that it is in their interest, not just in their interest, in the interest of them surviving, that Peter remains in prison. Because the standard at the time was if you let your prisoner out, you would receive whatever punishment was due to them, whatever they were going to get. So Peter was going to get killed. He was going to get martyred. So these prisoners, or these, uh, these soldiers that were, that were watching Peter knew what was on the line. Four squads of four soldiers. They had three-hour shifts apiece to be fresh. Okay, so there was, no, there was no like explanation of all the soldiers were asleep here. They were awake. They were sharp. Okay, so let's see how hard it is for God to free Peter from prison. Okay, so step one, we see in verse seven, a light shone in the cell. So I'm pretty sure that in Jailbreak 101, the first rule is that you don't flip on the lights as you're trying to make an escape. That is rule number one. You do not flip on the lights. He turns on the lights, a bright light shone in the cell. The second thing we see is that the angel had to wake up Peter. And this part isn't miraculous per se, but it is kind of funny. He had to strike him on the side to wake him up. So Peter is like a heavy sleeper as we've seen uh, before, but he kicked him and yelled at him. There's actually an exclamation point in, uh, in the passage where he says, wake up. So, so he wakes up Peter and then, and then it says the chains fell off. So it doesn't say that he, the angel kind of took them off gingerly and placed them quietly on the floor. There was probably a clanking. This, the, the chains, the, the iron chains on a stone floor, he wasn't trying to be quiet. It sounds almost clumsy. And then in verse 8, he waited for him to get dressed. Okay, put on your clothes and sandals. The angel does not seem to be in a hurry. Put on your clothes. Oh, don't forget your cloak. This was not a close call. This was not suspenseful. This was not how the Dirty Dozen or Escape from Alcatraz or Prison Break or Shawshank Redemption got their directorial inspiration. This is not where they went to think about how to make an exciting movie about a prison break. The lights were on. You have a sleepwalking guy coming out of prison with a bright angel walking next to him. Clanking sounds. This is, this is the most uneventful and unscary and unsneaky prison escape you can possibly imagine. So God in this was not perspiring nervously. He wasn't wringing his hands. He wasn't wondering, is this going to work? He wasn't clammy, palm scared. God is actually using humor in this passage, isn't he? It's kind of funny. It's a funny verse. The humor underscores here that God is so completely capable of answering prayer, of rescuing his people, of doing miracles, of working things out for our good, of keeping promises, that he has 
he has this kind of look at this, like, this is, this is just silly to disbelieve God, isn't it? It's just ridiculous. How can we not believe a God that has this much spare capacity that he can free him and make, it, make kind of a joke out of it? So little faith plus the true God results in an amazing miracle. Okay, so let's look at our faith group too, and I'm sorry, it sounds like my whiskers are uh, making noise. Is that better? All right. So faith group two, let's, let's read that second part of the passage from verse 18. <clears throat> In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So then Herod, our object of faith two, went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, who's our faith group too. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. <clears throat> After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Okay, so let's consider the profile of this second faith group, the people of Tyre and Sidon. So that's modern-day Lebanon. It's a couple coastal cities just north of Israel. And these were desperate people seeking for satisfaction of a basic need. Food. So they had been in a conflict with this petulant ruler, Herod, and Herod was withholding from them this basic need. And so let's, let's take a minute and consider and not dismiss, because I think it's easy to look at what they've done and say, well, these are heretics. We're not heretics in this room. These are heretics. They made something into a god that's not a god, and that's unrelatable to me. But let's not, let's not dismiss them too quickly. They were hungry. They had children. They urgently needed food. Have you ever had a problem that needed to be addressed quickly? Where do your minds go to meet this need and solve this problem? So we had a gasoline shortage last week. Did you, uh, did you happen to catch the video of a, of a lady um, filling up a plastic bag with gasoline? She double bagged, which is good. Um, or the toilet paper shortage from the pandemic. That was single ply in the Wilson household for a couple weeks. <laughs> Thanks, Caleb. <laughs> so the people of Tyre and Sidon, they actually went to a really sensible place to meet the need that they had. They had a need for food. The king had the food. And they went to plead to him for that, to meet that need. So if you take out the religious and heretical language, that oftentimes looks like us if we have a need. If we have, feel a need for control or security or for love or for satisfaction or for purpose. Oftentimes we go to things that are the most expedient, the most reasonable, things that are the most accessible to us, politics and leaders work, money, retirement savings, family and friendships, pornography, alcohol, 
substances, other substances, our own strength, our own wisdom. Is our instinct to go to these things, which in an earthly sense are reasonable and make the most sense and actually probably satisfy that basic need most quickly, or is it to go to the Lord? So then these people of Tyre and Sidon then went, they took it a step further. Then they said, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. So that's actually something that is the instinct that is hardwired into every single one of us in this room. We take needs that God has ingrained in us and built into us, and we deify the objects that satisfy those needs. Now God has made it so that only he can satisfy those things, ultimately and finally. But our temptation as human beings is to go to all manner of lesser things, all manner of small g gods, and deify those things, make those things the focus of our lives and our worship. So I appreciate the honesty of Justin Bieber. In a recent song he put out in his album called Freedom, he said, At 17 I had a milli. Women throwing themselves at me had me going silly. On the surface I felt like the man, but deep inside I felt deprived, just like an empty can. And he really had it all, didn't he? He's had the money, he's had the attention, he's had the women and pleasure and alcohol and all that stuff. This, this song that he wrote was actually a, a conversion story. He's recently professed Christ, and at the end of the song, he, he shares, about, shares about that. Um, but can you relate? Can you relate to the temptation to go to small G gods to meet those needs and to meet them quickly? Okay, so let's look at the object of faith now. So we've looked at the, the group of faith, too, and now let's look at the object of faith. So Herod, he was the grandson of King Herod who put Jesus to death. So he grew up around power. He was familiar with the halls of power and influence, and he loved the praise of men. He had ability to take life and give it. He killed James, one of the sons of thunder, and he captured Peter as well. He put Peter into prison. So now Herod, Herod's on the throne He's in this little spat with these small people of Tyre and Sidon, and if he opens his hand, they receive food. If he closes it, they don't, and they call him a god. And let's see how powerful this god is. Verse 23, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. So this is a pretty stunning and stomach-turning plummet from the heights of praise of people to the digestive tracts of worms, it's a far fall. But that is actually the destiny of all small g gods that we put on a th the wrong throne. So earnest prayer of the people of Tyre and Sidon and sincere faith of theirs and the wrong god and a false god, a small g god, is, the result is hopelessness and death. So it's actually a sobering reality of this story is that you can have a mountain size faith that can't move a mustard seed. You can have a mountain of faith in the wrong object, in the wrong vessel, and that leads nowhere. It leads to hopelessness and death. So my heart today is that we see ourselves in that spectrum of these people. Actually, the story doesn't give any room for us to not imagine ourselves in one of, that, one of those people groups. Either we've got little faith, in the true God or a lot of faith in the true God, or we've got 
a little faith in the fa a false god and, or a lot of faith in a false god. So the, the focus is not actually on the people, right? It's, it's on the object. It's not on the amount of faith. It's on the direction of our faith. So as I conclude, I want to land on something that may sound contradictory to everything that we've just talked about. <laughs> but as a clarification, it's important for us to understand about faith. So our faith in the true God does not always produce the earthly outcome that we want. Rebecca touched on that in her word this morning. Sometimes we're in, the, we're in a valley. Sometimes we're walking by streams of water. Sometimes we're in the valley of death. So our faith does not always produce the earthly outcome that we want. We can actually look at people of great faith who suffered greatly. In fact, Peter himself, who was freed from prison in this story, was later martyred. Was that because he lacked faith? Was that because people didn't pray enough for him? Was that because God was too weak to save him twice in his life? No. No. Faith in Christ is not a hedge against a hard life. Faith in Christ is a guarantee of eternal life. So faith in Christ is not a hedge against a hard life. It is the guarantee of eternal life. So again, we might be tempted to look at the story and think that the point is that Jesus will give us whatever we want if we ask for it in faith. So we can come to Jesus for the stuff, the swag, the benefits, but Christ is the prize. Faith in Christ gives us a relationship with an amazing Savior and Father. And going back to that story in the beginning, the question of, is your faith in the right vessel? Christ is that vessel that can bear the weight of our faith. He's the only object of faith that will not disappoint us, even in struggle, even in the loss of earthly joys. Jesus is himself our impenetrable, unsinkable, faith-worthy vessel. And that doesn't mean there's no storms. It doesn't mean there's no icebergs. It doesn't mean we get calm seas for our whole lives. But it does mean that Jesus himself will bear us up when those things do come. So faith is important. The object of our faith of our faith is important to her. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, would you fill us with faith? God, faith as small as a mustard seed even, Lord. We'll take that. Faith in the right object of faith. We want faith that stirs us, Lord, and, and reminds us of who you are, not of who we are and how strong our faith is. Because we see in that first faith group that they went from high faith to low faith and everywhere in between. And Lord, that's us. But God, when we look to you and we see your power and we see your love, how you can do impossible things and impossible situations, even with little faith, God, we say stir our faith. Stir our faith in you. Lord, help, help us remove any faith that we have in lesser things. Lord, we know those things often seem the easiest and seem the most rational and reasonable, but Lord, we just... We take our faith from those things and we say, Lord, help us to place our faith in you afresh today. In you alone. Amen. Hey, thank you for listening. Monument is a growing church pointing people to Jesus and planting churches in the greater D.C. area. For more sermons or information, please hop on to www.monumentchurchdc.com.